So these are a montage of conversations I've had over the last couple weeks that I just haven't had time to really um, provide to you, my listeners. So I apologize in advance. It wasn't meant to happen, but these are going to be two podcasts really in one. But rather than separate them, this is my 100th podcast. I want to make sure that I give something a little bit extra this time around. Um, I hope you guys have a lovely week and more to come. As always, it's fair. Everybody love everybody. In our world, there are levels of enlightenment. These stages are presented within the deepest recesses of our mind that give cognitive reasoning and perspective to what was a rather harsh landscape. As our ancestors hunted and foraged for food, they often found themselves in scarce and uncertain times. Year after year, it often felt like the same time of year, and it was challenging to stay alive, if only to survive for their children. Yearly having to nestle away payloads of food to help assist in surviving the harsh winters, they even lost their children to illness and wild animals who took the very nourishment they as humans took in the tundra of ice. As years passed, the climate warmed and levels rose. The fauna and landscape was greener, longer, and our ancestors cultivated longer opportunities to gather resources to withstand the still rather intense winters. Times passed even more. Seasons distanced themselves enough for the nourishment of generations to finally precede cultivation and farming. Now, industrializing the very nourishment we needed to thrive. There were land grabs, wars, famines that were often the result of population increases. Food was still scarce, but as a whole, we as a species were eating our leg despite our foot. Now we predate a period where the climate change has made roughly 40% of the surface area of the planet uninhabitable, and it's growing quickly. We are faced again with a very challenging moment in our evolution. We have to be better for our children and our generations to come. We have to be better. We can begin doing that by truly creating an environment of cultivation and farming that does not harm the soil, but rather works with the ecosystem it is a part of. We can eat less industrialized beef that often mimics that of a concentration camp for cattle and other livestock. We can have more fiscal accountability and quit demanding our governments take care of every need that we need. Those dollars and those resources are often provided by the very lobbying companies that give those very congressmen the jobs they seek with their votes those lobbying dollars from the very corporations taking advantage of our planet. Doesn't matter if you're a far right or far left, no matter what, you are leaning on the dependency of those corporations who receive those dollars. So as we as we evolve as individuals and pass on our knowledge to all of our children, let's remember these concepts. One, never allow yourself to emotionally compromise yourself when you're angry or in love. Number two, take care of the earth as if you were taking care of your child. And number three, take what you need, but nothing more. 
The human mind needs purpose and it needs it in the worst way. It is engineered with that in mind and over millions of years our diets and our resources allowed for our evolution to hunter and gather and farm to allow us to nation build. And it has given us a, a period of spiritual enlightenment as a result of it. However, over the last 18 months, the ultimate social experiment has taken place in the United States and around the world. For the first time, our governments are propping up the poor and the poverty stricken with income, a universal income, a form that removes the incentive to better oneself and stay home collecting direct deposits to their respective checking accounts. This neuters the desire to thrive. It requires a little bit of struggle to be successful, and the government is preventing that from happening. This has created a camp of entitlement and independency that now some people want forever. The government can't possibly maintain this pace of inflation doling out, yet the smarter people in this country that claim to be book-smart, savvy individuals who are educated are all for it. Ignorantly. Our politicians do it because they worry about their jobs and the state of the nation if they don't, but they do it because the people who voted for them are getting what they want, and that is a free ride, damn it. Many businesses have been open for well over a year and some change. Now the restrictions have been lifted. Nurses are quitting their jobs. And they're quitting them because they live in work in shitty work environments. People at McDonald's are getting paid $17 an hour because nobody wants to work there. The conditions for our nurses and our doctors and our workers are getting worse. And the industries are paying for it now. And they're paying it in the form of this pandemic unemployment because it's literally neutered the job field down to nothing. People are going to start going back to work. They're going to start wanting jobs. And I just want to close out with this point. Being that the COVID unemployment is forecasted to wrap up here soon, employers have an opportunity to continue to build on their relationships with their current employees. Keyword, current. The right kind of people have been working without collecting the pandemic unemployment for well over a year now. And they need to be respected and cherished for it. So reward those who have done the right thing and know that those shitty resumes that start flooding your retail stores and your restaurants need to be vetted. Because the men and women who have either had no choice or chose to work deserve your respect. I'm not saying some people didn't need it, the pandemic unemployment, but a huge percentage of Americans burglarize the U.S. Treasury and cause a rapid inflation our grandchildren will be feeling for generations. So reward the right people that did not take from the system and rather contributed to it with their time, and keep them at their respected salaries. And make the rest of the world, the rest of those people, work for it. The way the respected did, when everyone else was at home watching Disney+. Plus. I hope everybody has a wonderful Labor Day weekend. I hope you spend time with your loved ones. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Like always, share it if you like it. Um, and... Until next time, 
This is fair. Everybody love everybody. Man, 37 never felt so sad. I actually shaved my face for the first time in probably four years, five years. I probably haven't fully shaved my face in over a decade, but I did it because I wanted to see how old I looked. And I am as old as advertised. 37 is a tough number. <laughs> but, you know, the thing that I find most fascinating about getting older is you really begin to unearth um, the very fabric of your being. You know, why you are the way you are and what brought you here to this point in this current moment in time. And I didn't know what I wanted to talk about when I did this podcast today, because I haven't done very many lately. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, I'm just overwhelmed with media fatigue and fake news fatigue I'm exhausted with the status quo being regurgitated by the left and the right. And I just for once want to have the world just kind of come together and and have some real engagements about things that we as a society need to work on. And if anything that you learn from this pandemic, anything is that Our local governments really are the trump card. Um, I could give a damn what they're doing in California because I don't live there. And this isn't a humanitarian armada. We're we're not supposed to just travel the country and find out who's more oppressed than the other. Every region has its, its own personal demons it needs to exercise, whether that's socially or economically. California clearly has water shortages. They have economic shortages. They have immigration issues. They're going through a recall of their governor. They have their own issues. I mean, Arizona has fundamentally its own. Whether it's the education in their state is ranked still 48th for the last 30 years. They have not improved. They've slightly digressed quite a bit over the years but they're still ranked 48th in the country they have water shortages as well you know I, I look at Colorado they have fires and so does Arizona and California and all their neighboring states and then you know we get further into the Midwest and there aren't enough people that live there you have people on the east coast that are more liberal but it's more of a rust belt of rust belt of sorts you've got a very moderate liberal versus the contemporary socialist liberal that is very fringe and they're not that frequent yet somehow because they're loud noisy and obnoxious just like the far right who uh, created the insurrection in Washington DC in January you've got these factions of extremists who just have no rational reason to be and then then we're here in Pennsylvania and you know, when, when you live in a privileged society that 
you get your three meals a day and you have a roof over your head. The vast majority of us do. Whether the quality of that food is still up for argument, but you get my point. Um, you have more time to focus on other issues. And one of the big issues I've found recently in the state of Pennsylvania is the minimum wage. And I won't go too far into it. But given that inflation has skyrocketed over the last six months, um, we went to a Sam's Club recently and four steaks from Sam's Club, which is supposed to be like the economies of meats. All right. They're supposed to be the, you know, baseline of meat selections. We're not talking about a high premium meat here. Very fatty, not necessarily the best cow you're going to buy. $80 for four fillets. And my wife was really blown away by the prices at Sam's Club. And I said to her, it's a huge issue in this country right now because part of it is supply chain issues that have finally gotten fixed. And the distributors are trying to get their margins back. And another part of it is the inflation. Whether you want to buy a home, build one, buy a steak, get gas, all of that is really factored and priced into our current economy. And, well, what is inflation, Fair? It's a really simple metric. When you have more dollars circulating in an effort to purchase things, it takes more of those to pay for things because other people have them. Um, If there's more of them, it's oversaturated and thus your dollar's worth less. That's the theory, right? It's not going to maintain its value. I've had very educated friends over the years tell me that inflation for the United States is a much slower margin because it's a global currency and it fills into the holes and voids of the global economy. But there truly are only so many holes and so many voids and so many cubbies that you can fit a George Washington into. Eventually, they start to spill over. And as those dollars spill over, it oversaturates the market. And liberals and conservatives both have had a horrible, horrible time understanding that because we've had literally no inflation for the last 15 years. To put that in context, that is almost unhealthy. You need some form of inflation. So we've almost put the economy in on life support because we're immediately trying to flood the economy and economies of scale with greenback currencies, fiat, which means paper that has no actual intrinsic value, just a promissory note that says that it's worth this. This will get you this. Um, it has overrun our economy of scale. There's too much of it. And in areas where it costs more to live, like out west or in New York, those dollars are inflated even more because it takes more of those. And those percentages get diluted even further as more dollars are inserted into a purchase. So, for instance, gas costs, what, $3.60 a gallon out here? $3.60 a gallon on inflation is about six to seven percent. Six to seven times is 20 cents a gallon. So when you go to fill up your gas tank, 
that 360 in 2019 was roughly three, you know, 340. We're not talking about a huge margin of a huge margin of increase. But when you're buying a home that costs $200,000 at 7%, you're paying $14,000 more for a home over the course of a year. Now, for some people, that's a booming market. But what increases that even more is that there is an offset of appreciation that occurs as well. So that appreciation standard is around 3%. But we've got a demand issue now where there are more buyers than sellers. There are less homes on the market. And thus, that exponentially increases it. And that percentage of demand increases the price of the home and you have to factor inflation again because it's taking more fictional dollars to purchase a house. So if you bought a house that was 200 for 240 and the house is really bought in, it is actually barrier entries around 220 with the inflation index, you know, appraisers aren't factoring those things in. They can't. They're not economists. They're not accountants. They don't look at this from a sign of finance. So what's happening now is that people are underwater on homes with bad loans that were issued to them and vetted by banks. What does this sound like? Sounds an awful like 2008. And that's really what this podcast is centered around is the economies in the country are going to be incredibly different from state to state. If you lived in a state that had margins on your real estate that were incredibly high, like 25 to 30%, you're in for a rude awakening here in the next month to six months. And I'm not even trying to be an asshole about it. It's just a matter of fact. Those retractions are going to put you in a hole if you did something during that period of time from 2019, December 31st, not even 31st, more like March of 2020, to like the beginning of this year, you're going to start seeing that you may have bit off more than you could possibly chew. And people were panic buying. And in some cases, buying properties to rent out because they, they thought, hey, I got the capital. Let me buy a house. So I have read quite a bit in the Wall Street Journal. I've looked at, I've talked to realtors in my area who've got their, their gauge on, on, on the, the, the pulse of just the housing market, which is very much a part of our buyer, our consumer demand. People buy more from a Home Depot and a Lowe's than ever before. And they came to this conclusion. Lumber prices are, if, if you're, if you are a contractor or you are somebody who builds homes for a living, you're going to upsell the shit out of your labor costs because You can't forecast or price in lumber or other raw materials to build your house. That's one. Two, and the reason for that, and this is, that's with one, and this is sub, sub paragraph A here. The reason for that is because of supply chain issues, which occurred because of labor shortages, which are a result, and this is a pattern of the pandemic unemployment and all the other benefits that have been given out to people who are, for the lack of a better word, are into entry-level positions at the very least. They're not in, they're an unskilled labor force. 
So we've been basically propping up the unskilled labor force and entry-level working force in this country for the better part of a year. And those people do not want to work because they're making more money not working than if they were working. So you've got supply chain issues because materials aren't being made. You have truckers who aren't making their deadlines for deliveries. You've got people making orders for things that are taking multiple months rather than weeks to get done. And it's causing demand issues. You topple that with the currency issues that we're having in this country with inflation and supply chain issues. People are over purchasing to get a product to get it sooner. And all of a sudden you've got artificial inflation and inflation and consumer demand issues all within the same metric. And it's all connected to the housing market. So if you own a home right now and you didn't do anything, you're pretty much safe for the most part. I mean, nothing substantial is going to happen. I mean, if you went on to Zillow in the last year or so and you looked at your home and you're like, wow, my house is worth like 16% more than it was last month. And it's not like that anymore. Then, you know, there you go. It's that's probably the only effect you're going to have is you're not going to get as much money for your home now as you would have earlier. But here we are full circle into the fall of 2021. And we're seeing inflation slow down. We're seeing demand for raw materials slow down because it's getting into fall and winter. We're starting to see a regression of demand. We're starting to see unemployment benefits dry up. And what's going to happen with all this is it's going to take time to actually see the benefits of this perfect storm that was created by liberals and some conservatives that I would like to not mention right now because that's an entirely different podcast centered around trashing Republicans. But it's very progressive ideology that is ultimately derailed our economy and made it stale it's not that we're not we're broke it's not that we don't have everybody's got an unnecessary amount of capital and they and it's not real right so here we are in this fictional bubble of currency and we are presented with options and those options are really who is ultimately going to get screwed because forbes just came out and said that most investment banks are holding roughly 1.5 million foreclosed homes in the next six months. And that is a conservative estimation. There has been no indication otherwise that it isn't. So when you look at that metric and you see it for yourself, you have to understand that we are kind of trending in a in a less less than usual market for where we have been in the past um it's like with anything when i'm at work and i've got 40 hours that i have to put in to receive a paycheck right what I was making in, in 2019 versus what is going to be made in 2020 isn't going to be substantially the same. 
I'm technically making less now than I did then. And as my salaries begin to deflate and homes inflate along with a retraction with the inflation that has taken place, which is now slowing down, it's going to take several years for salaries, homes, purchasing power, and more importantly, the fiat currency that we sit on that ultimately make a stable economy. We are not living in an era of stable economy. It's all based on speculation. So this is a very loaded conversation piece. But I think what's most important to understand is that you need to maintain the course if you haven't done anything. If you haven't done anything marginally aggressive, stay that way. If you haven't done anything marginally conservative, stay that way. You have, you're all in or you're all out is basically what I'm saying. If you're somebody who just threw a ton of money at a situation during this pandemic to try to make some money, uh, you're already married to it and you've got to find a way to, to price in the losses that you currently have with what will be the new situation. That's how you get your your, your finances back in order. And if you're somebody like myself who's looking to buy in the next year or two, um, be patient and take advantage of all those foreclosures. It sounds really, really messed up, but there are a tremendous amount of opportunities that are going to arrive because of this pandemic. And it's the people who are patient and understand the market that are fundamentally going to thrive. Nothing about that's going to change. So if you have a dollar today, by the end of this whole entire experiment of Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden, STEMIs, and free money for everybody, and everybody gets a new car, you're going to see that dollar probably equate to a dollar forty in the next 18 to 2 months, 18 to 2 years, 18 months to 2 years. And that's going to be the payment to the piper that we ultimately have to pay. Now, that chain, that extra spare change that we're paying in inflation goes to our children who then have to compound on their version of inflation. It's going to take a decade to recover from that surge because it really should never be 40 cents over the course of a year. It should be somewhere in the in the ballpark of three to six cents to put things into relative contrast of what is healthy versus what is unhealthy. So we're looking at something that is marginally more incredible than we could have ever imagined. Um, So I'm going to wrap up with that. It's a really rant of the day, if anything. But I think what's most important to understand with the fundamentals is that society cannot afford to prop up the economy for this long without punishment. And inflation will be the driver and it will basically create a daisy chain of other issues. I want to talk about uh, the inflation index versus minimum wage, but I'm just going to leave with this teaser. Minimum wage is not a real thing. If you live in Arizona, it's not a real thing. If you live in California, it's not a real thing. If you live in Pennsylvania, it's not a real thing. Now, do I think people should be working for $7.25 an hour? Absolutely not. However, 
I do think that wherever you live, it is priced in what the livable wage is. The market ultimately derives at what the cost is. So if you live in California, $18 to $20 an hour is minimum wage. If you live in Sandusky, Ohio, $8, $9 an hour is the minimum wage. If you live in Mississippi, $7 to $8 an hour is minimum wage. So it's all variable based upon labor demand, how much people are willing to, to, to work for. And this pandemic has proven that dishwashers are making 17 to $18 an hour at, at, at restaurants right now. And that's because that's what it's going to cost to get a dishwasher now. Didn't used to cost that much. So things have changed quite a bit. So for those of you who live on the, we need a minimum wage, I want you to really consider with all the inflationary conversations we've just had and all the other circumstances that you found yourself seeing for your for the first time in your life whether you're 18 or 40 these theories that minimum wage actually contributes to building the lower middle class is absolute bullshit it is what the market will bear and what the market has bared for a really long time is that we've had a lot of cheap labor that is starting to die off and that labor is creating people who don't want to work. So there's really only a couple other things. You're for immigration liberals, but do you really want it? Because what's going to happen is we're going to bring millions of people of unskilled labor potentially into the United States. And they're going to drive wages down. We've seen it in Arizona and Texas and in these border, border states that see Latinos coming from Mexico into the United States and working for a fraction of what... Americans will work for. And that has been the driver. You have uneducated, unskilled labor and immigration all together kind of folded into this tapestry and they're still making 17 or $18 an hour right now. Kind of wild. So minimum wage isn't real. It's just an argument, just like abortion, that they want you to get on, get on your soapbox and start to believe because it prevents them from actually making any solid decisions in Washington because they both fucking suck, right? So I hope this podcast brought you well. It is Tuesday. It is September 14th. I want to wish everybody a great week. Everybody love everybody. I'm out.